Hey, I'm Laura Beth Kewen, and this is bonus content for Flirting with 30. This is my full interview with columnist for the Sydney Morning Herald, Jenna Price. As you'll hear, she's also a teacher at the University of Technology in Sydney and an activist with Destroy the Joint. I reached out to her on Twitter after reading her article in the Sydney Morning Herald about turning 60, and she was nice enough to get back to me and talk to me on the phone the very same day. So, awesome. Thank you so much, Jenna. I'm so happy that there are cool people in the world who will take time out of their busy day to talk to little old me in New Zealand and help me out with my creative project. Uh, I hope you enjoy the episode. Here it is. Hello, it's Jenna. Hi there, Jenna. It's Laura calling. Oh, hi, Laura. How are you? Hey, uh, can you hear me okay? I can. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. I'm just talking to you through a studio desk because I'm recording this for a podcast. Great. I'm so uh, happy that you agreed to chat to me. Oh, no worries. Very happy to be doing it. Wonderful. Now, um, I guess I wanted to tell you a little bit about what my little show was um, before we kicked off. Uh, it's right. it's just a silly podcast about turning 30. Yeah. I'm turning 30 soon. So each episode is... Thank you very much. <laughs> each episode I sort of explore some of the fears or anxieties or some of the myths around like this milestone age and um, chat to people who seem to know what they're talking about or to seem who seem to have a view about what they think or what they think about these fears that I'm facing. Yeah, well, that's um, perfectly understandable because we all had those fears at 30. Oh, yeah? You, you mm, empathize? We did. I thought my life was over when I was in my mid-30s and I had three children under six and my career had stalled and um, I wondered where the hell I was going. And then I realized that that was, you know, there's a lot of stuff you travel through. You know, you're you're not even halfway there. You are maybe a third of the way there in your life. So you have a lot of time to do stuff and not everything has to happen right now. And in fact, it can't happen right now because you don't have enough experience to deal with everything. And, I mean, every day gives you more um, armory, more skills, more techniques to deal with what life throws at you. So don't panic about 30. Panic about 90 if you haven't done enough then. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Thank you. That's a good way to kick off. Uh, what, what made you want to write the article that was in the Sydney Morning Herald the other week um, that was all about your 60th birthday? Um, so when I was 40, I was talking to my husband about my life and my career and where we were headed and everything. And uh, I just started crying. I said, you know, um, I haven't done anything. I haven't achieved anything. I haven't made any made a difference to anybody's lives. And and he said, well, you've made a lot of difference to my life and to the kids' life. And and I think he thought that was enough. And um he, he, I think he might have thought that I thought it was enough. And, of course, that just made me cry even more because mm -hmm. I didn't want to think of myself as just having contributed to the people with whom I had relationships. I wanted to think that I had, you know, been able to contribute to the world in a different way to that. So um, 
so I just kept doing stuff, all the stuff that I was doing, being a, a wife and a lover and a parent and a, involved in the schools and doing my job. And I mean, one of the things is that um, I guess one of the things I learned over that decade, maybe up to 50, was thinking that it was okay not to be the best at everything straight away or even ever. Um, it was okay to do everything you want to do and, and do it, you know, maybe not badly, but do it just to what you could manage rather than to the absolute best of your ability. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, he was just a very loving and supportive person and also thought I was a little bit mad. <laughs> um, but one of the things I realised is that all that energy that you have when you have children, which you're devoting entirely to your children, um, ends up being freed up when they leave home. Um, so you can do some things when when they're small. You can do some things with your career and you can do some things with your activism. And you can do some things with other jobs that you might do and also with your friendships and your other relationships. But the the small children you have in your life take up a lot of energy, as they should. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can choose to expend your energy in different ways at different times of your life. And that was really... Um, a real milestone for me to recognise that that was the case. Sure. Uh, so, um, and that turned out to be true. When our eldest left home, I just had a bit more time. And then when the next one left home, I had a bit more time. By the time three kids had left home, I still had a lot of space that I'd carved out for them. And I could then concentrate on all the other things. Because the key issue for us is that we're not dying at 60 anymore. We're dying at 90. We're dying later than that. So you have a lot of time to do a lot of different things and to do them either well or badly or to the best of your ability or to discover that you have no interest. But not everything has to be a success straight away. Yeah. That's a very reassuring message for me. I have redirected my career track somewhat recently where coming up to 29, I decided that being a government bureaucrat wasn't for me and I'm going to radio journalism school. And well done. Thank That's you. Fun. I, uh, I, I, I do have a bit of a panic that uh, I haven't left myself enough time to excel at, at a thing. Yeah, so the thing is that people will be excelling for a long time over the period of our lives. And, I mean, if you think about really brilliant radio journalists, um, there aren't many really brilliant radio journalists who are 29. There's a few. But usually uh, broadcasters hit their straps much later. So you've got a lot of time ahead of you to be a skill, become a skilled broadcaster, make a reputation, do the kinds of things you want to do. I mean, I guess the thing I would say to you is that um, good broadcasting requires you to be interested in other people's stories. And mm. I mean, you're doing that by being interested in mine, which is quite a humble little story. But, you know, going outside your comfort zone, speaking to people who you might normally speak to, astrophysicists, ditch diggers, coal miners, people who are picketing, um, and all those contribute to who you will be in 10 or 15 or 20 years. I mean, one of the best radio broadcasters I know of is a woman called Wendy Carlyle, who um, uh, is a uh, journalist for the ABC in Australia. Mm-hmm. She works on background briefing and... Um, Without wishing to give her age away, she's much, much closer to me than she is to you. Sure. <laughs> and uh, and that's, you know, there's just a million 
opportunities for you to be who you want to be, which doesn't mean that being a government bureaucrat is a bad thing because there are people in areas of the government who really contribute to our universal good. Absolutely. And that's helping you be who you are. Yeah. You you're you were very modest saying that your story is a humble one, but I feel like you've got some some good accomplishments on your resume. So you're you're a, you're a columnist, you're a contributor yep. to the Sydney Sydney Morning Herald and you're also uh, a teacher. You're a senior lecturer at University of Technology in Sydney. Uh, I am. And um but all of those things are um just part of what I do. I'm very proud of the activism that I've done with a whole heap of other women. There's a Facebook page called Destroy the Joint. I recommend you go and look at it. It's around uh, women's issues, um, particularly around violence against women. Um, so there's a whole bunch of us who do that. And then there's, you know, 85,000 people who like the page and who interact with it regularly. Um, I have uh, three adult children who are just absolutely fabulous young people mm-hmm. um, now. Now that they left home, I can say that. When they were at home, I was, oh, my God, how am I going to survive motherhood? Um, so I think it's just a whole bunch of stuff that happens together. And, you know, you have to understand that you get the skills to keep doing these things and you get a bit better at everything every day. And, I mean, I don't think I could have multitasked the way I do now before I had children. I mean, children are great trainers for um, those of us who need to multitask. Sure. Uh, I haven't got any myself, but that's for, no, a, well, that's for a future you're podcast episode. 29 or 30, right? Yep. Yes, 29 coming up on 30. Hmm. Now, um, one question that I've been wrestling with is that people seem to suggest that, like, you you know who you are when you're 30 or somehow your personality is fixed. And I think for a lot of people it's meant to be reassuring, but it's also a little bit of a terrifying prospect that you, you're not going to change. You're going to be the same person for the rest of your life. Do you have any... Um, do you have any insight on that? Like, in your experience, do you think you're the same person you were when you were 30? Definitely not. I'm a lot less nice. <laughs> uh, I have uh, less patience. I um, don't want to waste my time on people who are time sinks. I, um, I uh, certainly the target of my ambition has changed 17 times since I was 30. Um, mm. I am, I'm more, I'm harder, I'm much harder, uh, because one of the things I've been able to get rid of between 30 and 60 is that appalling desire for everyone to like me, mm. which I think is something I observe in lots of women, old and young, but it's, it's very prevalent in young women while they're kind of feeling their way in the world. But the desire to, you know, be liked by people is really a bit of a curse because it stops you from taking risks and it also means that you are trying to please people who are often unpleasable and don't add any value to your life. Um, so I've become harder. I've become less interested in how people feel about me. Um, I have a very small group of friends and they're the people I've kept in contact with for a long time and I would do anything to help them. But I don't waste my time on people who I users hmm. um, and I don't... Um, indulge people whose people whose egos need indulging. So, I mean, I am definitely not the same woman I was when I was 30. I was just 
such a pathetic people pleaser then and I'm really glad I'm not that person anymore. Wow. The strong words. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get to be stronger when you're 60. Now, one part, I found your article very reassuring. And one part of it that I really related to was you had this line about one minute you'd be thrilled to have a job editing a, a section in the Herald, and the next minute you'd be devastated that someone else got there before you, younger, smarter, or maybe just male. Can yeah. you reflect on where where that um, where that constant comparison sort of, or where that feeling comes from? Well, I would say that when I started working as a journalist when I was twenty. Um, I had very clear ideas about what I wanted to be, which was, you know, I thought I wanted to be the editor of the Sydney Morning Herald. And so um, I went about that in a very ambitious way. Um, but that was all also combined with this desire of not wanting to make enemies, whereas young men don't worry about that so much. Um, I think they're used to making enemies on a sports field, you know, enemies in that kind of um, small way where they're, playing competitive games and they want to beat other people. So we, I didn't have that kind... I didn't play a lot of competitive sport when I was young. Um, I... Um, so, and, you know, if you want something and someone else is getting it, that's um, not really you being comparative in a negative way, but thinking about why didn't you make that happen. And so some of the reasons that it doesn't happen or it didn't happen for me was that I was very consumed by being a parent. Mm -hmm. um, I was a person who really had to leave the office at 5.30 and my partner was leaving the office at 5.30 as well because we wanted to go and spend the evening with our kids. So uh, almost any employer in those days would be more interested in employing someone who could be there till 8 or 9 o'clock at night. Well, that was never going to be me. Mm. Um, and, I mean, in the, you know, the course of the time since then, I've seen a lot of those people who were promoted above me not continuing journalism. So it's a bit of a, you know, tortoise and hare thing. Um, and I think it's reasonable to be able to say to yourself, oh, well, I didn't get that job. Why didn't I get that job? Mm. And sometimes it's because those people are genuinely better. Sometimes it's because they're more available. Sometimes it's because the people who are hiring them are wanting to hire people just like them. Mm. So white, male, whatever. And I wasn't those things. So... Um, uh, and so, yeah, I think that um, it's reasonable to uh, make comparisons. It's not reasonable for the comparisons to make you constantly miserable. Yes, great sentiment. Okay, I, I'll give one more question for you. Uh, your, your article uh, from the Sydney Morning Herald is very forward-looking, and you talk about looking forward to the next 30 years. What is it that's coming down the track for you? Well, hilariously, um, I never learnt to swim. Never learnt to swim. So I'm an Australian, born and bred. I never learned to swim. So uh, my husband is a very outdoorsy kind of person and that has meant that I have spent some time uh, paddling on the edges of the beach while watching him surf and thinking to myself, I could never do that because I would drown. Anyhow, he conspired with our children, all old now, to... Um, suggest that we would all go to the Great Barrier Reef later mm -hmm. this year. Yeah. And I got very excited until I realised that there is no point going to the Great Barrier Reef if you can't swim. So mm. 
my eldest child uh, said, oh, mum, uh, look, I know this great guy who can teach people to swim, meaning old people to swim. <laughs> Anyhow, so I have, um, uh, yeah, I've started to swim. Um, I'm not great at breaststroke. In fact, the whole breathe, kick, glide thing of breaststroke is too hard for me. But <laughs> my freestyle is going pretty well. I can breathe only on one side, but I can now do three strokes before I need to breathe. Um, and I can do 500 metres of freestyle. Now, if someone had told me a year ago that I could do that, I would have said, don't be freaking ridiculous. So I've learned to swim. That's all still in, uh, you know, in progress. Um, I'm going to go to the Great Barrier Reef and I'm going to snorkel. So that's very exciting. That's short term. Uh, in a longer term, I am enrolled in a PhD. I'm three acts of the way through and I would like to be able to complete that. I've been teaching myself... Um, some basic uh, quantitative methods because um, mm -hmm. I don't need to learn qualitative methods because I'm a journalist and I've been interviewing people for a long time. Mm -hmm. So that's a kind of long-term project. Uh, there's a really fantastic um, uh, ceramicist who's dead now, a woman called Gwyn Hansen um, Pickett, and I've always wanted to be able to make ceramics. Um, uh, so that's a kind of longer-term thing because I'm still working full-time. I would dearly like to be an associate professor, maybe even a professor before I cark it. Yeah. Um, and I wish to God my bloody children would provide me with grandchildren because that's certainly a long-term <laughs> goal for me as well. That's a great list, Jenna. That's fantastic. I can tell you, I I teach kids to swim. and Oh, well done. And 500 metres is a great accomplishment. Well done. I'm very pleased with myself. And so what advice do you give to people about bloody breaststroke? Oh, <laughs> I mean, you you already know the breathe, kick, glide. That's all. That's all I can. That's all I can give you. Oh my god, that whole thing about circling with your feet flexed—that just seems insane to me. What am I, a frog? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, use your creative mind. You are meant to be a frog when you do the breaststroke. Radio frog, yeah, green, croaking, fine. Yeah. Um, so lovely speaking to you, and um, please let me know when your podcast goes live. Oh, absolutely, yes. Thank you very much for giving me some time, and um, best of luck. Yeah. Thank you. Really Speak appreciate it. Soon. See you later. Thank Bye, you. Jenna. Bye.